Are you an overwhelmed entrepreneur with endless tasks, emails, and messages? Do you feel your systems are ineffective or you don't have any at all? I get it. You wish you could come up for air and take that well-deserved vacation you've been dreaming of, all without sacrificing the growth or health of your business. I'm hosting a webinar to introduce concepts that you can use to learn more about how to clockwork your business for operational efficiency. The best part? The webinar is at no cost to you. It will be held May 14th at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, and a recording will be available for those who can't attend live. If you are ready to make a change in your business so you can take a real vacation, go to bit.ly forward slash May 2024 CFF to enroll. That's bit.ly forward slash May 2024 CFF. I can't wait to see you there. Welcome to Biz Hope for You with host Candy Messer. Entrepreneurs like to focus on the big picture, like profitability, success, and a smooth running organization. There always seems to be those little things like taxes, employee compensation, laws, regulations, and more. Now, you can get the answers you need in one place. Join us today as we break it all down for you. Now, here's your host, Candy Messer. Hello and welcome to Biz Help For You with Candy Messer. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you found the information on last week's show, the five systems you need to implement for your business, informative. If you are unable to listen and would like to find the links, please go to our YouTube or Facebook pages, or you could also find the podcast posted to iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. If there are topics you'd find beneficial or questions you have, please feel free to reach out to me at media at abandp.com. Now let's learn a little bit about our guest today. Scott Liner has represented businesses of all sizes for over 30 years in all aspects of employment law in both state and federal court, as well as before state and federal administrative agencies. Scott works closely with his clients to avoid litigation whenever possible, but also provides an aggressive but cost-conscious approach to litigation matters. Scott advises his clients on EEO issues, wage and hour concerns, as well as disability leave and discipline up to and including termination. Scott's proactive stance includes providing clients with employee handbooks and workplace policies, including those related to COVID-19. Scott attended the University of California at Santa Barbara, receiving a JD in political science. He obtained his JD from Loyola Law School in Los Angeles. Scott regularly speaks on legal issues and has written numerous legal articles on employment law issues. So Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Candy, for having me. Great to be well, here and always look for forward to uh, sharing any insights I can have on whatever the employment law issues that we're talking about. Right. And there's so many different employment law issues we could really talk about. It would take way more than the hour that we have. But um, before we get into the topic for today, what I really want to have first is you give us just a little bit more of your background and how did you even become an attorney working with the employers on these issues? 
Yeah, um, it's been a long road, um, but early on in my career, I just was interested in the area. I liked um, the business aspect of dealing with clients, and I saw a real need for companies dealing with their employees. And I also like the human element to it. I like um, fixing problems and figuring out solutions. And um, although I advise employers, I also have the employees' interests at heart. And sometimes and many times those go hand in hand. So it's not necessarily a confrontational issue. Always, it can be, especially as a litigator, I see that. Um, So um, yeah, I've been doing it for a long time and the law is constantly changing. So um, Mm -hmm. you got to stay on your toes and keep your clients informed. And certainly employee handbooks our topic of the day is something that's a great way to get the word out to both the employers and the employees on all things employment law in California. <laughs> that's true. And it's a good point that you bring up too. The laws are always changing. I know it seems like every year there's some type of change to federal or state law. So I think just as a reminder to everyone, you know, make sure you're checking up on what those laws are so you stay up to date, correct? For sure. Yes, it's happening every year. And usually around December or January for my clients, I get the word out with an email, just letting them know what the latest updates are um, and update their policies as needed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so important. So, but on the topic of handbooks, we do want to talk about that today. I think it's extremely important as well. And and I know uh, I've recently updated my own. And I think a lot of times people don't even know they should have a handbook in the first place. So I think, can you talk about number one, like why does someone even need to have a handbook? What is the purpose of it? Yeah, sure. So first of all, as my practice involves both advising clients uh, as well as litigation, handbooks are really one of the best tools out there to um, frame the issues and make sure that if litigation occurs that you're best protected. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's certainly a legal component to it, but there's also just a cultural and just a running your business reason for it. And there's several really good reasons why to have an employee handbook. Uh, The first and foremost is just uniformity of your policies. Um, And just to be clear so that people understand what an employee handbook is, I mean, it's really just manuals and rules and policies of the company that are distributed to the employees. Um, So they have a place to look at what the rules and expectations are. So the first is to have uniformity because um, while certainly you may have certain rules that apply differently to exempt and non-exempt employees, um, it's important that you have a consistency because by not having uniformity in policies, and that's what Handbook provides, you can avoid discrimination claims and favoritism claims. So if there's one policy that applies to this particular issue, it's there in the Handbook. Um, And to be clear, not all rules and policies should be or or must be in your handbook, but it's a great place just to make sure it's almost like a a check on the employer to make sure we only got one policy on this and this is what it is to go check the handbook. So uniformity for sure is one of the first reasons. It also just saves time for managers and and, and administrators at the company. Um, They don't need to explain what the policy is all the time. It's already been distributed to the employee. Say, have you checked the handbook or go to the handbook? So that's another great reason why to have a handbook in the first place. Um, And definitely it helps onboarding new employees. Um, I always recommend to clients that you certainly have an offer letter to a new employee that sort of sets forth what the offer ultimately is. But rather than having to distribute all these various policies, you have a handbook where you issue that to the employee and let them know that they're expected to understand the rules set forth in the handbook and that they should review it. So great for onboarding. And then again, as I suggested, first instance, 
it's just a great guidebook for the employer and HR to make sure and remind them what's in their policies. They can revisit it and check to see, hey, what is our policy on this? So a lot of companies don't know and they got to double check to make sure that it's there. So really, it's kind of like the playbook for the company or the guidebook. And it helps both the employer and the employee make sure that they understand what the rules are at the organization. Right. And that's what I was thinking too, is because for the employee, it's especially helpful too, because they could have come from, you know, another employer that had, you know, something different about their attendance policy, you know, or, or, you know, different, you know, there's just different policies that aren't specifically required a certain way by law, but you're going to still have things that are expected. And if the employee doesn't really know, what that expectation is, you know, they might fail at your expectations without even knowing it, right? So it's only fair that they would have something to guide them. Absolutely. And it is really, therefore, the best tool to have um, to make sure that you get the word out to them, for sure. Mm -hmm. So is it required by law to have a handbook? No, it's not technically required by law, although there are certain policies that we'll talk about in a little bit, hopefully, that are required by law or certainly help the employer um, when they find themselves in certain situations. So you could theoretically have, you know, uh, a multitude of policies that aren't part of an employee handbook, but for the reasons that I stated, um, you don't have to have a handbook. However, I will say as a litigator, um, juries and arbitrators don't look kindly to companies that haven't taken at least that step to have an organized book that sets forth the rules and policies of the organization. And it's a benefit to the employer because they can point to any sort of discipline issue or if it gets to litigation and say, hey, we had a policy on this, look what it is. And then you can turn to the employee, well, you were told this, right? So um, that's why it really is helpful on that front as well. Right. So what are the approaches then that an employer can take to creating their handbook? What do you recommend? Um, there's a couple of options and I've seen clients go both ways on this. There's the sort of the black letter of the law and here are our policies. And, um, you know, other companies like to add a little bit of history about their company and, and, and their motto and their creed. And, uh, you know, every company's different. Some value that more. They're really all about their culture. Other companies don't emphasize that as much. It doesn't mean they don't have a good culture. Um, just means that that's not part of how their company really puts itself out there. So that's kind of the biggest. Otherwise, the laws and I'm sorry, the policies and everything that's in there mostly should be the same. So I see things with having a little bit more of a personal touch. And then certainly if you have employees maybe outside of California working for your organization, you need to make sure that you spell out, hey, these are the laws, especially in California, because those laws tend to be more favorable towards right. the employee including rights to leave and whatnot. So it's best to kind of maybe exclude those employees out. If it's a bigger organization, uh, sometimes they have a whole separate handbook for out-of-state employees, but I don't recommend that. I think you can spell it out in the, you know, in the handbook itself, what applies to California employees and what doesn't. Right, well, that's a, now becoming a bigger issue because with the whole remote workforce now, especially you know in the last year plus, you know where people have been working from home, a lot of people have been changing where their home location is because they can work from anywhere in a lot of situations. So having those guidelines and knowing what applies to your employee, just because you're located in one state, but now if they're living in another, you know, those rules could be different, especially if they're living in a state that is more stringent than where your location is. Right. I mean, that could become a problem. Yeah. I mean, California generally, and maybe New York are the two most stringent states when it comes to employment laws um, that are more difficult for employers. 
Um, but the important thing is, at least in California, the way the law applies is the laws apply to you where you work. So mm -hmm. if you're working in Kansas, <laughs> Kansas right. law is going to apply. Um, fortunately, again, for most uh, issues, California laws, you're not going to find a situation where it's more difficult. A lot of states don't have their own minimum wage law. They don't mm -hmm. have their own overtime laws. So those type of things, California kind of captures it all. So it's just important that whoever's helping you with your handbook, um, that all those issues are spelled out so that they can help make sure that you have the most complete and robust handbook you can possibly have to cover all those possibilities. Mm -hmm. So are there risks in creating a handbook? A few. Um, the most important one is that you set forth information that's accurate um, mm -hmm. and that, um, you know, that whatever is required under the law, whether it's an EO policy um, or otherwise, that it's compliant with the law, expense reimbursement um, and the like. Um, and then the other risk is just making sure you follow your own policies because right. it doesn't look good if you have a handbook that says you're following certain ways of handling employees and you don't follow it. So right. um, this isn't something where you just kind of roll out without thinking about it. Um, when I prepare employee handbooks for clients, there's a lot of back and forth. Um, you know, I may certainly have my basic format for an employee handbook, but I always find that it needs to be, you know, revised and redrafted to meet the client's needs and expectations and how they run their business. And that's mm -hmm. an important piece of the handbook. Right. So do I have to have an attorney then prepare the handbook? Because I heard you just say, you know, you've been doing a lot of them. So does someone actually have to go to an attorney to do it or can someone else help them? Um, well, I mean, it's not required. Um, I'm based on my experience uh, as a litigator, I'd recommend that a lawyer do it. You certainly can go online and buy handbooks. Uh, that's mm -hmm. kind of the only, I don't know who else would be. That's uh, risky. <laughs> yeah, it's risky because they're cookie cutter and there's mm -hmm. always, as I suggested, nuances to every situation. And it, it really is a good investment um, the, of time and of money. People kind of think, oh, that's a lot of money. It really isn't that much when all comes down to it. Right. Um, and especially because it really is a living document. This, this handbook then is going to, you know, annually or every couple of years, maybe you'll update it. And, um, add, and then what I typically do when I'm updating is, um, well, certainly for the new employees, it's part of the handbook. We just issue like, and here's a new policy that's well now moving forward for the existing employees you know, apply moving forward. And that way it's easy to update you, as your lawyer. I can make sure that we got everything covered. I, I find that people who go online or get it elsewhere, forget about it. And then next mm -hmm. thing you know, three years down the road, maybe I should have someone look at this. And that's when there's a lot of problems or I'm like, oh, you're not in compliance with this or that issue. And so, um, so I wholeheartedly recommend an attorney. Um, it is possible that you could get something online and uh, either way you should have one. Right. And I heard you say, you know, you might update it annually or every few years, but is there, you know, something where someone knows, okay, well, this happened. So now I should update it. Or is it just like, oh, let me look at it every two to three years to see if anything has changed. Like what would be that trigger that would say, oh, I think I need to update my handbook. Well, one thing I recommend is that you do work with an employment attorney because that attorney then will make sure that you're up to speed on any new changes. Just over the last few years between AB5 regarding how you can no longer, you know, have for the most part, independent contractors working for you. Um, the new CFRA laws that apply now in 2021 to employers with five or more employees where it used to be 50. So if you don't have that, then you yourself have to be on top of it and either you know reading and trying to learn about it. That's a lot to do if you're running a business um, as well. Otherwise, um, 
if you don't have a law, I would say every few years, but things happen quick in California. So I really right. think the, the best approach is to have a lawyer working with you and they can just update you of what's going on. And you can still make a decision. You might say, I'm not going to, I don't that, Sometimes the updates don't require any changes to your handbook. You just need to be aware of the new law and how it's applying to the employees. Right. And I know we do have people that are outside of California listening to this, but again, like I said, with California having the most stringent rules, it's important for people to understand what those are. But you just threw out a few terms that people may not really understand. So I would love for you to explain what they are. So AB5, of course, we know around the independent contractors and then FFCRA. And then earlier you actually mentioned EEO. So just if there's anyone who's listening who doesn't know what those are, can you touch on those for me? Sure, AB5 was the change in California law almost two years ago where the California Supreme Court um, basically announced that the way that California employers were mostly treating the independent contractor uh, issue was incorrect. Previously, there was a a multi-factor test under Borello, court decision that gave employers a lot of wiggle room when it comes to whether or not someone is an independent contractor or employee. This AB5, which has since been put into a a labor code, basically eliminates all of those escape routes. And pretty much any person who does what you do at your place of business is going to be deemed an employee or if they're under control. So really, it would be if as a law firm, if I have a bookkeeper who's coming in periodically to my books, okay, they're an independent contractor or somebody who's cleaning my office, they're an independent contractor, but everybody's helping me run my business, they're going to be employees. Um, As it relates to the FFCRA, that is the recent change to, well, it's really a California change to CFRA, which is previously it allowed for up to 12 weeks of leave for uh, an individual employee or their family member who has a need is having treatment. And there's a variety of reasons why someone may have a health, a serious health condition that would allow them to have leave. Um, it gives them up to 12 weeks, but before this recent change in January, 2020, it only applied to larger businesses, 50 or, or, or greater employees. So that's been a huge shift as smaller companies have had to get in line to make sure that they are following the laws. It's not that difficult and complex. It's just a matter of it's an unpaid leave that employees have available to them. The the burden is making sure for an employer that they are uh, accounting and notifying the employee of their rights of that leave and making sure that it's used correctly. And then it exposes them potentially to retaliation claims if the employee takes leave because I see it a lot when that employee is away, um, the employer finds out a lot of things about that employee. They're not performing well, mm-hmm. and you can still take employment action against that employee, but the layer of the CFRA makes it a little more of a challenge. You got to be careful not to be viewed as being uh, retaliating. And then EEO is equal employment opportunities. So that's the federal uh, laws relating to discrimination, harassment, and retaliation and involves the typical race and gender and, and sexual orientation and whatnot. So mm-hmm. that was a simple, straightforward explanation of all those. Yeah, it's good. I just want always to make sure people kind of understand what we're talking about. Sometimes we get, we know what we're talking about, you know, so I just- I'm a lawyer. Sure. I, I drop down into my legalese. You got to catch me on. It's a good job. No problem. So what are the most important policies then to have included in the handbook? Um, There's several. Um, The first and foremost is at-will employment, particularly in California. Um, And you should check your state's requirements depending on the same issue. But in California, employment is at-will, meaning you can quit or be fired for any reason or no reason at all, as long as it's not illegal. 
as long as there's not a contract or agreement that says otherwise. Mm -hmm. So by having the employee handbook confirm and have the employee signing as part of the acknowledgement, which they always sign that they've reviewed it and they understand that they are employed at will, that's a critical piece to any defense as it relates to making sure that if someone makes a claim of wrongful termination, you can point out, no, confirming our relationship is at will. So that's the biggest and most important one in my mind. The next is just standards of conduct, and it's just the basic expectations of employees, whether it's internet use, uh, soliciting other employees for business or in you know, politics or whatever the issue may be. Um, it's just setting down what the basic ground rules are. Um, you also have like dress, appropriate dress, maybe, you know, whether tattoos and nose rings and whatever it is. And even though it's changing times, some employers can put some restrictions on that. So that's mm -hmm. another one. And then we have the anti-discrimination policies, um, as I said, under the EEO issues. And the important thing, especially in California, is if you have a, a correct policy in California that prohibits discrimination, harassment on the multitude of protected areas, and if you have a complaint procedure in place and the employee doesn't follow that complaint procedure, an employer has a defense available to them um, that can limit the amount of exposure they have if the employee didn't follow the appropriate complaint procedure. So it's important to have that. It's also important just that people are aware then, and are made aware that harassment and discrimination aren't appropriate and won't be permitted in the workplace. Mm -hmm. um, another one would be your non-disclosure agreements and a, con and a, a conflict of interest policy. Um, you want to make sure that it's very clear that, you know, they understand that the, either the information they receive at the place of business is the property of the clients, and that needs to be protected, and otherwise your own proprietary information. Generally, I prefer to have a separate standalone policy um, that the employee actually agrees to, because one of the big things in the employee handbook is we want to say it's not a contract. Um, so when you have an, a, a proprietary information policy, you want to lay it out in an agreement where they agree and understand. And for some businesses, if there's some inventions and things like that that the employee has, you want that disclosed at the beginnings because anything else otherwise that they create while they're employed and at work is the company's property. So that's mm -hmm. another one. And then conflict of interest, um, you know, you can't prevent employees from doing work away from the business um, on their own time, but you can if it conflicts with what you do at your business. And there's policies that can give you wide latitude for that. Okay. And then we have your workplace safety and security policies. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, if it's a company that has equipment and things like that, you're not gonna have the full description of all the safety policies, but whatever they may be um, that apply to your company, you want those in there. Um, and like I said, the complaint procedure as well should be in there. Mm -hmm. um, and then work schedules, you know, you gotta lay out, you know, what's the work week? Is the employee full-time or part-time? Um, and again, this will be covered in their offer letter or in mm -hmm. a memo or email if things change, but you want the general parameters spelled out that explains part-time perhaps is anything under 40 hours or 35 hours. And sometimes part-time employees um, get certain things where full-time employees get more things. So you want to spell all of that out. And like I said, that what is the work week? You know, you have to lay that out. Um, and then you have compensation. Um, you know, you want to lay out, you know, what they're, uh, uh, that you pay minimum wage at a minimum, um, you know, exempt and non-exempt, you know, the type of different employees that you have there um, and all those type of issues. And then you want to have the benefits, you know, do you, do you provide health insurance? You want that out there. You're going to reference your, 
your employees even want to know all these things. Even if you tell them where they're hired, you have it, you want some explanation. So that's going to be in the employee handbook. And if you have paid holidays um, and vacation time, and vacation time is a whole tricky issue. Do you have a vacation policy or do you have a PTO policy? Um, paid time off, um, which encompasses both sick time and vacation time. And your paid sick time in California and in other cities here, you have specific requirements to provide paid sick time. So you want that in your employee handbook as well. So all that good stuff needs to be in there. And then you have your leave policies. As we mentioned, CFRA, California Family Rights Act, you wanna have in there um, and other associated leaves, including bereavement leave. Um, there's a student leave. If the parent has a student who has an issue at school, there's certain rights there. There's bone marrow right leave. I mean, there's a, there's a whole list of them. There's not that many. Usually it can be covered in about two pages or so, the different types of leave. And certainly, you know, the Fair Employment and Housing Act, if somebody has a disability, you just want generally to have those in there, both to inform the employees and also allow the employer, once again, as a defense, to be able to point that out. Oh, no, we told them that we have a policy right. here is as it relates to all those leaves. And then you have some miscellaneous ones like expense reimbursement. Generally, what is, you know, the policy of the company? Um, can employees spend up to a certain amount for work-related issues before they need approval? Or otherwise, if they have an expense, you know, how does that come about to be where you're, you're agreeing to a, a reimburse it. Um, telecommuting, as you mentioned again, that's a big policy issue now. You know, are you allowing it? Most employers are, but you're going to want to have a policy in place that both explains what that means and what's expected of them as they work from home, and that you have the discretion as the employer to change that um, mm -hmm. as necessary. You want to be able to maintain that right, so that's important as well. And then if you have employees who drive for you, you're going to want generally sort of the expectation hands-free um, you know, and similar, you know, protection as well. So those, I think, are kind of the big ones. Um, you got to kind of get into the weeds on some of those to make sure that you um, have all the details in and there's more than that. But those, to me, are really the essential ones and must have for sure. Right. And so someone's hearing that and saying, wow, there's a lot that I have to include in there. But we've even had recent updates because of the pandemic, right, with new legislation and things like that. So if someone already has a handbook, but they haven't updated it since we've had COVID-19, should they update it and include anything new related to COVID-19 in their handbook? I don't think that's necessary. I mean, we I don't have a crystal ball and none of us do about how long COVID is going to remain a, a problem or a concern. Mm -hmm. But um, because this is a living document, I don't like to put things in that I'm going to be taking out. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's a separate policy that you can distribute to your employees and you should have already whether it's safety issues or rights to leave. So I wouldn't include it in the handbook, but definitely you want to get those out to all affected employees. Mm -hmm. And make sure they even know what they all are, right? I think that's one of the yeah. things that I'm finding from some of my own clients feeling it's so overwhelming. There's so many things that have been happening and new legislation and it comes out mid-year, you know, yeah. different times of the year and just keeping up with it. It's been a little bit hard. Even as employment attorney, it's like, wait, what? And then you try, and then me, you know, having practiced law in this area, at some point through experience, you learn the nuances of the law. When a new law comes out, it's not entirely clear those state legislatures aren't mm -hmm. terrific both in preparing the law and keeping in mind sometimes how business actually work boots on the ground. Um, so it is confusing and difficult to understand, but mm -hmm. that's why people like myself are here to assist on those types of things. <laughs> so. so then what if there is some type of dispute between an employer and an employee? Is there any type of like arbitration agreement that they should be having or what would you recommend in that situation? 
So first of all, I would I prefer to have a freestanding arbitration agreement if a client is prepared to have one. You could have one attached to it. But again, remember, we said this isn't an agreement, this handbook. So unless mm -hmm. you're we could exclude it at the beginning and the introduction and say this isn't an agreement except for the arbitration agreement. Um, arbitration agreements are a tough call. And when I have clients who are considering it, it's kind of a, it's not a long conversation, but a lot's got to be covered. Um, but basically when you enter into an arbitration agreement, you're agreeing to arbitrate, to give up your right at court for all issues relating to between you and the employees. So both wrongful termination lawsuits, as well as if they've stolen your proprietary information or done something else unlawful. So, um, you have to be aware that you're giving up your rights too. If you, you always mm -hmm. think it's just the employee suing me and that's the only problem. Um, and the secondary issue is, is that particularly in California, um, you, the employer is required to pay the arbitrator's fees, which can amount to a significant amount of money, $60,000 over time, maybe, maybe more depending on the nature of the dispute. So um, it's an added cost, as it is already when employee brings certain types of claims like mm -hmm. EEO claims, discrimination and whatnot, or wage claims, the employee is entitled to recover their legal fees if they prevail. And so that cost of defense always comes into play as well as mm -hmm. the exposure. Then layered on top of that even further is the requirement that you pay the arbitrator's fees. So it's something to think about. On the other hand, um, it takes you out of a jury and mm -hmm. No promises, but generally speaking, an arbitrator will not result in as a unpleasant number, high number mm -hmm. perhaps as an arbitrator, but there's no guarantee of that. So right. there are some balances on that. In the current state of affairs now, it's taking a long time to uh, get to trial mm -hmm. for an employer who's defending a claim, that's usually a good thing. So if employees, employees now can go to arbitration and be done with it within a year, they may decide to do that and just be done with it. Mm -hmm. uh, before the pandemic, uh, the courts were mostly required to litigate and try cases in California within about 18 months. So now though, when you file, it's like more than two years. So again, number of factors that come into play. I wouldn't have it in the employee handbook. If someone wanted to attach to it, I'm okay with that. But again, you need to make sure that that arbitration agreement is correct and compliant with California law so that if you're going to have it, it is in fact enforceable. Mm -hmm. So the many years ago when I got my first handbook too, I was given a page that said, you know, employees have to acknowledge, you know, that they got the handbook, but also sign on these certain, you know, pages that they actually read them. So is that really necessary to get them to sign the handbook and even certain sections? Um, it's required in that you want them to acknowledge that they've read it and understand it. Um, so yes, you do want it signed and returned. They're not necessarily have to agree to everything, but they understand at least that they, you, you want that confirmation that they understand they're at will. And, and it's kind of, an, what if the, people ask, what if the employee doesn't sign it? What can I mm -hmm. do? Well, um, I'd want to kind of walk it, through with them, there may be more going on with that employee that they're refusing to sign it. Um, mm -hmm. You usually won't see that at the commencement of employment. It'll usually be later on if you're rolling out a new employee handbook oh, with okay. your existing employees and you've got some difficult employee. Um, and if they don't sign it, then oftentimes I just advise the client to send them an email. This confirms that you know you were presented with the employee handbook. You're expected to know the expectations of it. I rarely see a situation when someone doesn't sign it. Um, is it terminable, you know, offense? 
could be, but there's probably, I want to hesitate before we do that mm -hmm. and take a look at it. Right. So then in that case, it sounds like they just have to be acknowledging that they even had the handbook and not necessarily certain parts. Like I believe one of the ones I was told was like they had to acknowledge that they read the sexual harassment training and I think maybe like a no drug use policy or something. I forget. I would have to go back and look at all the ones I was told before to have them signed. So is that really not necessary then for segments and just one signature is enough? Yeah, it's enough. I mean, there's certainly okay. reason to emphasize certain policies um, and there's nothing wrong with that. So it's not required though. It's in the handbook. They were told of it. So that's enough. Okay. <laughs> so then do you issue a handbook to, you know, current employees when you update everything to, or only to new employees? Like when do you know when you need to go back to employees you have that are current employees now to issue a new one or make sure that they're aware or if they've been long-term, do they remember the policies? Like, is there any updates around that that we need to do? I mean, again, there's no requirement of when you have to update it, but when you've mm -hmm. made the correct decision to update your employee handbook. And I would say again, a good percentage, half the clients I've had have had the same handbook for four to seven years and are just kind of mm -hmm. getting around to updating it. Right. Um, but you do want to get the new employee handbook out to both new employees as well as to your current employees as well. Mm -hmm. um, and in that line of thought, um, some people ask also, you know, do I have to compensate or give something back to my employees because I'm giving them a new handbook? And the answer is no. Under California law, um, just continuing employment is enough consideration to require the employee to sign the employee handbook. Mm -hmm. So by all means, when you update your employee handbook, you let your employees know, hey, we have a new update here on our handbook. Here it is. Make sure that I review it. And then, you know, there's an acknowledgement, please review it and sign it and return it. Um, some will be slow to return it. So you follow up, you know, maybe in a week or so time to remind them that you need it. And uh, you almost always get everyone's signature back on it. Right. So is there a time frame, like ideally the first day of work or something, you're telling the a new employee, here's our handbook and, you know, this is what we need you to know. But is there, you know, it might be where, especially with remote, maybe they're not able to get something to them like the first day or something. Is there like a time frame that they're supposed to have the new employees have the handbook by? Or is it, you know, not really a strict rule per se, but you still want to have acknowledgement at some point. Like what would that be if there's a new employee coming on board? Um, sort of the better because things can come up. And if from the employee's perspective, there's a lot of things in that employee handbook that probably hasn't been um, given to them or fleshed out in detail compared to if it's an offer letter or however the extension of the offer was made to them. Mm -hmm. So um, the sooner the better. There is no requirement, but every day that goes by is an opportunity for them to either fail to follow one of your policies or engage right. in something that if you rolled it out. So look, once you have that employee handbook, it's as simple as that. Day one, you just got to remember, hey, here's the handbook. Take a look at it. You don't got to do it right now. But spend some time over this first week to take a look at it and let me know if you have any questions. And they're happy to. By this time, day and age, unless it's like a very young worker, first time job, most of them have kind of gotten the concept of employee handbook. So for mm -hmm. sure, um, you know, get it out as soon as possible. Right. And again, there can be so much in that. I mean, it can be, you know, 40, 50, 60 pages or something of content that's in there for them to read and understand. So do you just 
assign like okay tell the employee take so much time every day set aside to start reading that or maybe not even having them doing some tasks until they can read it like what would you tell someone who's hiring someone that they do want them to understand what those policies are and give them the time what would you recommend yeah well hopefully and there are in some of the larger organizations they do have pretty beefy handbooks Mm -hmm. um for most smaller employees smaller being like less than 50 employees or so um, there's no real need for that. But if there is, um, yeah, you don't want to jam it down their throat and say, hey, you're expected to know this today. Um, I don't think it's necessary to um, have them the first day to sit down and review it. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, it is an interesting issue whether or not it's required by uh, the job, um, that whether that's compensable time. So out of abundance of caution, you could be, you know, take some time this week it's not so much that you're going to pay them extra, but that first week while they're working for you, hey, spend some time during this week, during working hours to review your employee handbook. Uh, you know, it may take an hour or so, and then you can always refer back to it, but at least be familiar what our policies are. I think that's a good right. approach. Okay, perfect. Well, any other tips, you know, or content that you want to share that I didn't know the questions to ask maybe that you think would be helpful for an employer to know? Um. No, I think we covered it. I mean, at the end of the day, um, the first question is, as we started, should I have an employee handbook? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, And how do I get about getting one? Um, You know, I think the best approach is to use a lawyer um, who will know and continue to keep you updated on your rules and policies to make sure that you're legally compliant and to um, use it as an opportunity to educate your employees um, so that they're aware of all the rules so that there's no surprises along the way. So mm-hmm. I really, I, this was a good opportunity to sort of lay out the basics um, and even beyond the basics. And hopefully I didn't inundate people with too much information, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the law and you gotta make sure that people are aware of it. But I, I think we did a good job of covering everything. Yeah, I think it was a good overview to just, you know, talk about why it's important to have a handbook. I think it would be great, you know, to have you back at some point where we can dig in a little deeper into some of those policies and, you know, why they're important to follow and, you know, maybe some of the things that might be a little confusing and help explain that because there are so many different policies that, you know, business owners might need to have in there. Um, But I think it was a great overview for sure. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. I think it is. And I'm here to help anyone needs any help. Um, if I may, I can give them a way to contact me if they have any further questions uh, after today's. Yeah, Great. For sure. And I, I do want to say if you have anything you want to share in terms of an offer as well, you know, whether, you know, it's Absolutely. A or something, please let our yeah. listeners know what that is. For sure. Yeah, I'm definitely for those listeners here, I'm available for a free initial consultation. So if you have a question or concern, feel free to reach out to me at scott at chaselawmb.com. And I'm happy to figure out what your issue is. Obviously, if we get into needing to advise you in some specific substantive way, you know, I need to be retained by you, but I'm happy to answer any questions you have about handbooks um, and to assist you one as well. We can put together a good package for you, um, especially if you're a listener of this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I know your company has that legally savvy um, kind of, I don't know if it's a one-time thing they join or if it's ongoing. I don't know if you want to plug that a little bit too, because I know I have seen a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. Through a partner, Deanne Chase, we have a program, Legally Savvy, and it's for business owners. And it's once a month where we present on important topics to help them deal with a variety of legal and sometimes non-legal 
um, issues and concerns. So it's a great way both to network with other small and big employers and to get some ongoing information. So if you have questions about that as well, you can reach me at my email address and I can put you in the right direction. Perfect. And is there like a website or any social media links that you want to share in case anyone wants more information? Oh boy, that's a big challenge. You already challenged me just having me on a podcast, <laughs> figuring it out. Uh, no, offhand, but if you reach out to me through the email, I'll put it all Perfect. together to get it out. But okay. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah, the main thing is if someone has a question, I just want them to be able to reach out and connect with you. So if they've got that email address too, that's perfect. And again, if anyone has any uh, questions and needs to reach out to us, they can they can touch base with us as well too. But thank you, Scott, so much for being a guest on the show and talking about handbooks. And I know it's it, it's an important topic that often business owners don't realize that they need to be doing. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I look forward to another opportunity to talk about another employment law issue you may have come up down the line. Perfect. So, and I want to thank the listeners also for tuning in. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found this topic interesting and it answered some questions about issuing and updating your employee handbook. If you have any additional questions or comments, again, be sure to reach out to Scott at the email that he gave you or send us a message at media at abandp.com. And would you please share our show information with those you know? I'd greatly appreciate your support. I hope you can join us for next week's topic. And please remember, you can connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And my website is abandp.com. And remember, you can find the podcast posted on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Until next time, have a great week. Thank you for listening to This Help For You. Please join your host, Candy Messer, Again, next Tuesday. Have a terrific week.